I, if I was only recording everything that you just said, we would have had the comic gold. Greg, this is the, the best intro in the history of Funny Book Forensics. This is episode 250, Beatlemania. Oh, yeah. 250, Beatlemania. What are we talking about? We are talking about Countdown to Infinite Crisis, the 80-page giant that went to a second Ooh. printing. But we're talking that about is- the first printing. The first printing. That's right. The number one, the one that I did not read because at the time I was not reading this, this book. Well, and a lot of people didn't read it and that's why it went to a second printing, even though it was uh, out for a dollar. A lot of people, when this came out, assumed it was just going to be one of those promo books uh, for the upcoming mini series that led into Infinite Crisis, which is exactly what it did do at the end of the book. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the actual uh, stories, 80 page story that happened in the book. And so not surprising that you didn't read it. It's just why it had to go to a second print. Well, I mean, in the time frame that it came out, too, I think there was a lot of other stuff going on, um, like, you know, just like life wise and stuff like that. I think like my head just wasn't in the place where, um, where comics were really in my heart as they used to be in my youth. I think it was like a full year after, after, uh, infinite crisis that my life crisis, uh, settled down. And I was like, Oh, Hey, I'm back from, I'm, I'm, I'm back in the the great state of Washington. I can, I can, I can look around and, and find my, find all my, my comics again. <laughs> When I was, uh, I was actually in my fifth year of having real jobs and I actually had money. So I was all into comics at this point. And, uh, this, uh, book was coming off of, of DC's, uh, identity crisis, uh, which was a book we've talked about before. And we'll talk about again, I don't want to focus too much on identity crisis, except it, it did lead into this and DC's always seems to be in crisis, you know, it's always, <laughs> There's a a lot of crisis since crisis happened. And this is a, uh, well, let's start with this cover. So we've got an Alex Ross cover. Uh, He's done nothing, right? Nothing at all. You can't go to a comic, you go to a comic convention, you never see a banner that says Alex Ross uh, or like any artwork by Alex Ross anywhere, ever. Yeah. I mean, just for those of you that don't know, Alex Ross is a painter and, uh, Great books, all sorts of stuff on Alex Ross. This is not a podcast about Alex Ross today, but uh, what I will say is Alex Ross is well known for figure painting and water painting off of actual human figures. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons that all of the body parts look so realistic is he used real life size model or lifelike models. In this case, he is painting over the top of, do you know, Greg? I do not know who Alex is painting over the top of some other guy you may have heard of called Jim Lee. What? No way. So we've got Jim Lee pencils and Alex Ross paint over those Jim Lee pencils, which results in a pretty beautiful cover. Yeah, it's it's spectacular. It, it like the, the colors are fantastic. The overall like look of it is like you can't not look in any direction on this cover and not have your eye just go wow 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 i mean there's not a spot on here that you don't i mean even in the clouds and in the stars 
everything is just there's stuff everywhere there's stuff everywhere and we have uh what we i guess say the opposite of the famous crisis cover where superman's holding supergirl we've got batman holding somebody and batman is facing away from the is covers. it nightwing you can't see is it nightwing it, <laughs> it might be. i see <laughs> it could be robin did you vote for that did you call in yeah, I, you know what? I, I was at the time, I, I was too scared to do it. I thought for sure if I had dialed the number, um, my dad would have lost it and then folded out like a pay stub and told me how much money he made. And that that was coming out of like the coverage or something like that. The, I also the, the, did not call to vote for whether Robin lived or died. Uh, but in this case, we didn't have an option. Uh, out of the blue, we have an entire comic. So, uh, I guess the, the the first time I read this book, you hadn't been reading DC and I Not, had been reading DC yeah. and DC brought back sort of the classic uh, late 70s, 80s, uh, early 80s Justice League and Identity Crisis and really featured them, you know, the, the team uh, with uh, Elongated Man and Zatanna, <laughs> you know, a lot of good headliners uh, in mm-hmm. there and then I, so I figured, you know, we're going to get another Justice League gets that gets their due here. And, you know, we yeah. just, a couple episodes, we were reviewing that classic Keith Giffen, uh, J.M. DeMatteis Justice League. And so when I saw this cover, uh, my heart sank and you, you didn't read it at the time. So before we get too far into this book, uh, you're looking at the cover. You said Nightwing. I, well, I mean, like I, it, jokingly jokingly yeah. but i mean obviously you can see that it's i mean there's there's definitely um a look to this character that batman is holding that uh there's there's certain attributes to the the costume uh to the face uh to the head definitely and 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 also to the um i want to say mm, no yeah mainly mainly just just in the in the in the eye area it, and it definitely is like, okay, I, I, I have an idea who this could be. Well, let's uh, let's turn the page and open to the, the first page of this book here. And Oh, crap. I was right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, yeah, well, my heart sank when I opened the book. Um, there, there is one of my favorite characters of all time, Ted Cord, the Blue Beetle. And I'm like, oh, cool. Blue Beetle's in a comic. Wait, there's a dead person on the cover and then i flipped back when i first read this book before i even read it and i'm scouring the cover to see if blue beetle is one of the people in the background right yeah i'm like please be one of the people looking at the dead person uh spoiler alert uh i did warn you all and i'm gonna you know if you look back in my post i said go ahead and read this before greg and i cover it so you can not get the reveal in the first seven minutes of the podcast yeah i it it was i will tell you i mean not reading this when it when it first came out and then kind of knowing because you you hear a lot of stuff you know like shop talk or whatever uh you know people talking about stuff or whatever um and then all of a sudden when you do finally read this you're like oh oh because the it this cover the the knowledge of the blue beetle and 
and how he's um he's always on the outside of everything right and and i think that's like one of those things that's like we 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 find out it's 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 heavily discussed in this issue but you you see that in in some of the previous episodes uh that we've we've had that discussion when he's uh uh when we've discussed him and uh he's always on the outside of stuff and uh this is the first time he's with everyone right he's but he's with everyone dead. but he's dead yeah and i we're gonna really get into this in this episode uh. Yes. And find a lot more about the Blue Beetle, Blue Beetle's history. And I really want to look at some of those, uh, you know, this idea of a throwaway character. Blue Beetle, uh, throughout the entire history of the character, has been Blue Beetle. Now, we're or been a throwaway character. He's definitely also always been Blue Beetle. But the reason that came out is even a little slip, because Blue Beetle hasn't really even always been Blue Beetle uh, we're going to be focusing mostly on Ted Cord, but we will mm-hmm. in the next two episodes, we're going to split this in half. We're going to cover chapters one through three of this book here and then uh, chapter three or four and five in, in the next episode in 251. You have to. You can't. You There's so much to talk about. We can't just do it all in one episode. It deserves two. Well, it and just all, all joking aside, there is too much to talk about for one episode. Uh, let's get into, uh, before we get into, uh, Ditko and these, this beautiful art here though, we're going to break this up into chapters. So chapter one, uh, first all the writers for this whole book were, it was a combination effort by some people you've never heard of, uh, Jeff Johns, Greg Rucka, never, never, never heard of them. Never heard of those guys. Yeah. So, you know, you're going into a major DC event when you, uh, put everybody together like that. Interesting. Uh, very different writing styles for the three writers. So yes. it was interesting how they got together and did this though. You are going to see the heavy Jeff Johns, uh, narrator boxes, um, mm-hmm. that started showing up, especially after oh. Johns left Marvel and came over to DC. Yeah. And, 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 and it, and, and, and it's, it's, it, it drives the story. I mean, it drives, it drives this, this particular one, hundred percent. And then in chapter one, we've got an art team of Rags Morales, Michael Blair, and uh, Moose Bonham on colors. And Rags Morales makes a lot of sense. Uh, mentioned yeah. Identity Crisis, and he was the artist on Identity Crisis. So it makes mm-hmm. sense that he's the first artist for the first chapter. Uh, there is yeah. an art team for each chapter, so we will mention them. And uh, especially, I'll focus a little bit more on the artists in chapter five, because I think it plays in a lot there as well kind of like this was the bridge gap art by rags morales Mm -hmm. and then we get into some more art uh but what we have here is uh rags morales and it seems like blue beetle sounds like a a marvel character in this book i know we alluded to this last time but here he is talking to himself yeah uh is there any character in a red suit that was bit by a radioactive something that this guy sounds like here um uh is it is it uh is it uh uh spider spider scarlet spider oh scarlet spider oh gosh scarlet spider 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 spider-man 2099 yes oh my gosh the best story the best story right so one of my faves here we are and uh he's monologuing and clearly I, what I liked about the writers is they are clearly paying homage to Steve Ditko and Steve Ditko created, wrote and drew uh, the first six appearances of Ted Cord as the blue beetle back 
1967 uh, mm-hmm. in, in, with Charlton Comics. Yeah. And he relied heavily on his Spider-Man work for this character in this relaunch. It, Greg, what do you think of the similarity similarities like uh, Beetle breaking the fourth wall here? I, you know, I, I, I totally like it. Um, I, I find it, I find it great because, uh, he is such a, he's an outcast in the DC universe, uh, very much like, uh, and I, and I think, I think that was the, uh, the fun or the, you know, for reading this character. I think that one of the things that, uh, when you, when you look at him comparatively to, 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 uh, Scarlet Spider, <laughs> uh, is that, uh, <laughs> Uh, that you have, um, you have that kind of, that, that's very similar in, in that as well. Uh, and they're both, they're both very much the, uh, the outsiders trying to fit into the larger, uh, superhero group and use their, their own skills and techniques that they, that they have, uh, that they've honed, uh, to, to bring, justice and or uh a a bit of them into that group but but him breaking that fourth wall and talking directly to the people and explaining all the stuff and and telling laying out his situation and who he is and everything like that is is a really good uh narrative uh narrative way way to narrate and also bring the bring the reader into a little bit of that bloom blue beetle mind if you will yeah i think it really humanized uh the character uh, we're going to be relying a lot on Christopher Irving's uh, blue beetle companion. That's uh, was put out by tomorrow's publishing. I think you can even still get it on their website. The uh, at least I think I'm pretty sure you can just get it in PDF, but you can still pick it up. And uh, Chris Irving did a lot of really great work uh, in gathering interviews and research and history on the blue beetle character. And he noted in, in the Blue Beetle Companion that it, in 1967, in that period, Ditko began to develop into a proactive cartoonist. He used superheroes as modern social commentary. Uh, did you know that, that Steve Ditko was a big fan of Ayn Rand? No, I did not. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I didn't really either. Uh, I mean, it, it explains his reclusiveness. Uh, uh-huh in life. But I also think it shines into the Beatle character here. Uh, uh-huh. We see a character that in the past had been sort of goofy, but was always off trying to make money or try to figure out how to do things, owns his company. And we're getting a lot of that. I can do this myself commentary in the book. And yeah. he says, I'm a bug, but, and, but he says he's a smart, curious, extremely handsome bug. So that's an homage both to the Spider-Man narratives Mm-hmm. But also, you know, this idea of he's wandering around trying to figure this out on his own, like is sort yeah. of of him against the world. Uh, the one the one thing I will draw us into is Rags Morales. If you go to the second page of the book, uh, clearly draws just Spider-Man uh, scooting across a desk. Yeah, I don't think that's the Scarlet Spider this mm-hmm. time. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that's all spider yeah, it's all Spider-Man. So, you know, this is a, a love letter both to the fans of Blue Beetle, but also a love letter to Steve Ditko uh, to start the book. Uh, one other thing Jeff Johns pointed out is, you know, people that were reading this may not have, you know, so this is in 2005. Uh, the Justice League's heyday and the reintroduction of Blue Beetle was from what, 86 to about 92. Mm-hmm right in that frame. Yeah. So Jeff Johns rightly points out people that were reading this may have never read the blue beetle in a book before. Probably not. 
And so unless they were reading a couple of side books in the DC universe. So reintroducing the character in this way, I think was, was pretty smart in their approach. And so the rest of chapter one is a lot of Blue Beetle going out and asking for help and being rejected. Yeah. And that's to me, that's like super disheartening, but it also, it also just kind of drives home the, the fact that he's an outsider uh, no matter what he does, no matter who he asks, everybody just kind of pushes him off because it's he he is a bug. He's bugging them. But it's clear that he's on to something, too. And I uh, like yeah. how they're doing the flashback. So we start out 20 minutes ago and he sees Batman's yeah. identity for the first time, which I think is a little bit ridiculous. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Blue Beetle probably knew who Batman was being in the Justice yeah. League. But let's play with it for the story's sake. Yeah, okay. um, but he uh, he's rejected by these characters. So Oracle, uh, tell me a little bit about Oracle. Oracle uh, is uh, well, obviously she she was Batgirl, but yep. uh, I mean, uh, due to doing an accident, uh, put her an in accident shot <laughs> at point blank range by the Joker. Hey, hey, in I was trying to be. I was, I, I was trying to not spoil it for anyone who didn't read it in the last. 30 plus years. Yeah, my bad. I spoiled uh, might, our, our cover, novels we, of all time. We might cover that book at some point, Dan. Gee, way to uh, go. We covered that book already. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we did. We did. Well, no one's going to know because they're not going to hear it because we lost all the data. But that's true. <sighs> we could cover it again. So we, we might. Yeah. I mean, lost episodes be damned. Anyway, let's Anyways. not promote the lost episodes. So we've got Oracle and I think I think this is important because Oracle is the the person that one actually let's let's back up. He had yeah. Blue Beetle had actually showed up in Birds of Prey for a bit. So yes. looking at it and Chuck Dixon had written Blue Beetle a little bit and they actually wrote Blue Beetle out of the DC universe. And so it's interesting I shouldn't say out, but sort of immobilized him, so to speak. They gave Blue Beetle a heart condition, which I don't want to get into too much here. But what I will say, it's interesting that they chose to have her reject him first, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, because that was the book that that sort of wrote him out of the universe. Yeah. And let's, then we've got his... Use oh, yeah. that. <laughs> <There's> that. <laughs> and then we've got his best buddy trying to steal money from him. So Well, and that totally age. makes sense. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's his whole entire shtick. He's a thief. Yes. He's uh, Booster he's Gold. A total the future thief. Thief. Future yeah, yeah. thief. Fiefdom? Not fiefdom. Yeah, he's a he's a he's an identity thief. He's a he's a stealer of, of everything. Stealer suits. Stealer yeah. of flight rings. Yeah, exactly. Stealer of force field rings. Belts. Yes, force field belts. All the things. And and best friend of Ted Cord. So yes. Uh, there we have Michael Carter and there's booster gold out of costume, bemoaning that he doesn't want to go back into costume, that he's broke and he's got one last chance to be an actor and he's not, and, but he's going to pause that and they go see Maxwell Lord and Maxwell Lord has a long history in comics. I'm not going to spoil it all right here, but <laughs> what I will say about Maxwell Lord is he was the benefactor of the justice league that blue beetle and Booster Gold ran, and he basically tells them that they're washed up superheroes that should retire. Yep. It's like, get out of here, GTFO. And, and hey, 
we're all facing COVID right 19 together. So nothing like uh, getting into a job situation where you're told you're washed up. You should go do something else right in the middle of a crisis. Right. Uh, we hope nobody else is feeling that out there. Uh, so now you it's, read this book and yeah, here it, it is. It, it just, it just hits a lot closer to home. Even superheroes have problems. Even superheroes have problems. Well, Booster and Gold, then, he's got a lot of them, but he creates a lot of his own problems. Damn yeah. him. Why has he got to be so fun? And Sorry. then he, uh, and then uh, Booster leaves him, Max leaves him, and Blue Beetle decides, well, no one else will help me, so I'll go see Batman. Yeah, because that's, I mean, why not, right? Batman. I'm going to go see Batman because, you know, Batman and me are buds. Tight, tight, tight buds. Yeah, and if you remember the <laughs> last book we reviewed, uh, the last Justice League book we reviewed, not the last book we reviewed, uh, Batman sort of comes in to see <laughs> Blue Beetle getting beat up by or jumped by Guy Gardner, and yeah, that that was close to one of the last interactions that they actually had in the comics. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, Batman not taking Blue Beetle very seriously. And, and I find it interesting that the two of them are very like similar in, in some ways too. They're very, you know, they're, they're, they're well-to-do dudes. They're, you know, they, they're smart. They have businesses that are making big strides for society and other things like that. You know, they're, 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 you know, the, the entrepreneurial mindset, they're doing these, these great things, but yet they're, totally opposite in, 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 in giant, giant ways. And then this, this scene with them totally is like, Hey dude, let's work together. Help me out. And Batman is like, eh. <laughs> well, and it's, it's interesting because blue beetle is what Batman never would be. Right. Like blue beetles, the Spider-Man wise cracking version of Batman. Right. Yeah. And Batman would never be that uh, at least, at least since, I don't know, since the penthouse days <laughs> from yeah. the 80s forward, since Killing <laughs> Joke, literally, since we already referenced that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, we got this dark grim, or, or maybe even better since the, the Michael Keaton, Tim Burton movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Batman always has to be brooding and angry and dark. And so we get that, and, and, and Blue Beetle is literally the opposite of that. Which made the contrast in the old Justice League books, uh, Justice League Unlimited and Justice League America books so funny because, or Justice League International, sorry, books so funny because Batman would just show up randomly like we saw and he was completely out of place, right? Because he wasn't human. Yeah. And they worked really hard to humanize these characters. And as we get a rehumanization of Blue Beetle here, I do want to point out one thing he says to Batman, though. He says, okay. uh, Wayne, Wayne Tech is being manipulated just like Cord. That's him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this OMAC, and he brings up OMAC, and all of a sudden Batman gets dark or gets a uh, quiet and dark. Yeah. He's always dark, right? Always dark. I am Brooding. the dark. Yeah. He is, he is the dark. Let's steal from another podcast. I am the dark. Yeah. We'll reference oh, no. this podcast in the show notes. I am the dark. But uh, the uh, thanks, guys, by the way, for that. Yeah. We'll reference you in the show notes. But the. Uh, yeah, he, he clams up a lot, and it's interesting. I don't want to dive into OMAC. We're going to hit up on OMAC and Jack Kirby in a, in a future episode. Uh, but OMAC was sort of a throwaway character. Uh, his first appearance got eight issues and, and was done in the middle of a storyline. 
Uh So it's interesting that all of a sudden OMAC is showing up and OMAC shows up a couple more times in DC Comics history before this. Uh, Mm -hmm. Don't want to get too far into OMAC here because I don't want to spoil the rest of the story, but just note that is an important piece as you're reading through. It's interesting, too, though, that that the Blue Beetle should be used to rejection. Uh, So what do you know about Dan Garrett? Uh, Not not a whole lot, Dan. Oh, uh, so Dan Garrett was the uh, name of the Golden Age Blue Beetle. What? The the, the first Blue Beetle? Uh, There was what? There was Blue Beetle before this one. Uh, In fact, Blue Beetle had a Blue Beetle before the Blue Beetle. There was a Blue Beetle before the Blue Beetle and then another Blue Beetle later. But yeah, so Dan Garrett like, yeah. in 1940 yeah. had a comic book, a comic strip, and a radio show. Wow, that dude had it all at the time. And That's amazing. they all got ah. canceled in the same year. Oh, that is rejection at the highest. Yeah, it's, you know, it, 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 it's kind of the ultimate, like, I'm not Superman. Whoa. That so Blue Beetle is not Superman and nobody nobody like the did you would you say he got squashed like a bug? Uh I would say he got squashed like a beetle and ah, just saying. That's horrible. Well we flip the page and we uh find out uh Batman is being a little paranoid. Uh just a little. Like like always, but pretty much if you're reading this book, uh pay attention to these couple pages for future reading in DC comics, but uh, we're going to flip on to, to chapter two. On to chapter two. 15 minutes ago. Yeah. So the blue beetle continues to be the narrator and the reader's view of events uh, for the upcoming DC comics, big giant crossover that's coming up. And, <gasps> uh, crossover. Is there a crisis happening? I and, don't uh, know. Yeah. He's uh, following back uh, to investigate this. So we just get a quick thing of 15 minutes ago and Blue Beetles uh, sees Superman and all of his weaknesses. And he's like, yeah, uh, this is a problem. And then we get a flashback to three days before. So Blue Beetle is out trying to investigate all the things he was trying to warn people about. And he continues to to narrate through. And uh, Court Industries uh, is being raided. So... From a narrative standpoint here, Greg, uh, what's why is it important to have this sort of common man narrative here as he's relaying the events of what's going on around him back to the reader? It's important so that one, the reader can uh, one, they they can basically like empathize with with him, but also understand that that he's just he's just, you know, empathize in the fact and understand that he's just like them. He's just he's just. He's he's not he's not like all the all the all of the superheroes that are out there that have uh they're they're metahumans right so they have all these abilities and these skills that are brought to them from from whatever uh, wherever and however but he's just a man right well and yeah and it just it it's interesting like he's trembling when he's talking to Superman I I think he's mm-hmm. just like the ultimate fanboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and he's doing, I mean, that's how, 
like in all honesty, like that's when you go to when you go to a convention and you talk to somebody that that you you hold in high regards, an author or an artist, uh, somebody who's directed a, a show that you you watch or a movie or whatever, and Jose Garcia just, Lopez, exactly, right. and <laughs> yes, and and you meet them for the first time. Uh, sure you're gonna you're gonna have the the tummy rumble and you're gonna have the the hot sweats like you just ate like a a pack of hot dogs or something like that and you're gonna be all like clammy and whatnot and that's just normal that's that's how people are what's the creator that even though most of these creators would just love for us to chat with them like who's the creator you were scared of the most when you met them the first time uh scared of the most or got the butterflies i'm not scared of them like in all honesty, like I, I think like every time I talk to any other creator, I'm, I'm I, 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 I geek out the same way because I, I am the any anyone that I have gone up to talk to just because I hold all the different things that they've done, their works and stuff like that in, in such high regards. Uh, and it's one of those things where it's like I, I can't really put a finger on it. Like, and most, most folks are just like super down to earth, chill, nice, and just so normal. Right. Like, uh, case in point, like uh, I can't even, my mind has gone to blank now that you put me on the spot and asked me a question like this, Dan, uh, it ha I know, I know. Right. I can't even, I, I can't even think, (laughs) Well, you know, right here on the Spoilerverse Network that, that hosts our podcast, they just did, recently did an interview with Jim Starlin, and that was probably my latest one. Uh, and not just because they just did an interview, but I got to see Jim Starlin last summer, uh, and mm-hmm. I just was falling all over myself trying to talk to this guy. And he was so down to earth and yeah. just really chill. And I'm like holding my comic book to get it signed. I'm like shaking like a little kid, right? And yeah. I'm just like, this is... This is a uh, great and uh, he was super great. But yeah, it, it's you run into these folks. And I, I think it was interesting because in this comic, all the superheroes, quote unquote, go around doing the heavy lifting mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then go tell him, you know, hey, uh, this is what's happening. But there are Blue Beetle sharing really important information, like a bunch of kryptonite went missing. Uh, how this plays out in the bigger story, we'll we'll get into later. But uh, it's it's interesting that he maintains this common man narrative while everybody else is sort of reacting around him uh, and they, and brushing it off like it's not really a big deal. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. So it, then some uh, characters show up uh, who made their first appearance in 1967, and this one threw me off. Uh, we got these guys that, that are called the Mad Men. The Mad Men. Uh, the, the they're, reason... they're really great. They're a great advertising group. Uh, they're really big drinkers. They smoke a lot. Oh, wrong Mad Men. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, well, I, I, I researched the wrong thing, Dan. Oh, man. As John usual. Hamm. I As thought usual. it was all about John Hamm. I mean, one of you guys could be John Hamm from like that. He looks, he looks like him. It does. I mean, or John Hamm from that, uh, from the, uh, oh goodness, where is my brain tonight? Well, we're podcasting about this. You know, that show on Netflix, it's the Twilight Zone, but it's not the Twilight Zone. Black Mirror. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. There we go. Jeez, this is hard. This is going to be a fun one for you to edit. You, you keep rolling with I, that. I'm going to keep it so, all in there. I love garbage fires. In. This is the best. 
the best garbage fire. Well, the Mad Men were a garbage fire because they showed up in issues three of the original Ditko Blue Beetle book, which is not which is canceled just a couple issues later. And uh, but he introduces a bunch of drug induced crazies uh, mm-hmm. that steal Blue Beetle's BB gun, which is the best because you know it's a BB gut Blue Beetle. It's non lethal. Yeah, non lethal BB gun. Uh, and they can't figure out how to use it because they're so drugged up. Uh, the thing that I freaked out, I was like, when I looked at this the first time, I was like, why are there a whole bunch of creepers attacking Blue Beetle? And yeah. Blue uh, Ditko created the creeper for DC in 1968, right after the collapse of Charlton. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know. He he creates a, a single <laughs> hero that looks just like all these weird guys that look just like the creeper and attack blue beetle and beat him up and and and, and run off laughing well they are uh, creepers they're creepy yeah. creepers creeping on the blue beetle but they're not the creeper they're the madmen maybe the madmen well, are the spawn of the creeper, creeper well and they're they're the drug-addled masses that didn't follow ayn rand's philosophy so you know they can't figure out how to use good things okay jumping off that train right yeah. now uh <laughs> it's a runaway train it's a runaway train <laughs> It's it's it, it might take you to a West world, but oh boy, oh that's boy. a totally different podcast. That's a West world cast right here. So right. the, uh, <laughs> uh, it's interesting. So blue beetle is getting the crap beat out of them by these drug addled, crazy mad men. Yes. named uh, and lo and behold, booster comes back uh, from his photo shoot and he saves him. And this is the first time uh, where Blue Beetle's request for help is being taken seriously. And there's his best friend standing there. Boom. Uh, yeah. And it's it interesting. Did you know there were two other storylines uh, right around this time with Blue Beetle in them? Uh, I did not. Being published in DC Comics. Really? Yeah, you weren't reading at the time. No. Uh, so Giffen and Demetrius, uh had two stories. One was a uh, mini series. I think it was six issues formerly known as the justice league uh, okay. where they introduced the super friends, <laughs> which oh, is, wow. yeah, uh, not the super friends, but they made a joke out of it. They called the nineties justice league, the super friends, which I, I thought was fun. And okay. then uh, they also had a story in JLA classified and the stories had already been written and were being published and nobody bothered to tell keith giffen that they were writing this story oh no so they had these blue oh no so they had blue beetle stories going that probably had great arcs that they had to oh well they didn't actually stop them they just ran them in full oh wow uh okay yeah fair fair i like Uh, it so since we didn't get to talk much about blue and gold before because yeah uh, Booster Gold wasn't actually in the story we reviewed a few episodes ago. True. Uh, what's your What are your some of your fondest memories of the Blue Beetle Booster Gold team up? Uh, I just I, I I like the way that they bounce off of each other. I mean, and you know they well, is it really is it a, is it a team up or is it a thruple? Because Skeets, man. Well, yeah. Don't forget. Well, oh, no. Spo- spoiler. Um, <laughs> but where is Skeets? I don't know. Skeeting around. Skeeting around. Well, yeah, I, I think uh, it is interesting because the one of my favorite memories is they try to open a tourist uh, destination on 
cooey 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 if i'm pronouncing it right <laughs> uh and of course they are always trying these business ventures together and they're always falling flat i mean sort of like you know getting together with a friend and and hosting yeah. a podcast and thinking you'll make money <laughs> off of it i, I don't know what? like wait what huh? <laughs> falls flat. I, I don't know no this is not falling flat this is going straight upwards going straight upwards and uh so yeah, I mean, it was interesting. The The interesting thing here is this Blue Beetle story is playing out. This was really the first step to rebuilding the Booster Gold character. You know, at one point, uh, a Beetle narrates, hey, hey, they say Booster Gold avoids the big fights uh, that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's because they're all idiots. He took one of the first punches from Doomsday when Superman went down. And I think he knew that monster was there to kill him. Uh, but he still tried to take the hit. Uh, in this story, uh, Booster is removed by a giant beam from the sky that burns down Ted Kord's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and this removes the only powerful character left that was still supporting Blue Beetle. So all those other powerful characters left him to his own devices to try to solve his company's problem. And here a giant beam from the sky takes out Booster Gold. Boom. Just like that. And it was interesting uh, what they did with... Uh, booster after this story right booster gets his own series uh he becomes basically the time master Mm -hmm. uh you find out that rip hunter is his son spoiler alert Uh, spoiler alert that's a trip to me that that that's i mean like what i love i love how that that whole thing just you know it's just just but it makes sense right (laughs) <laughs> yeah no it makes sense and i think you know they do that they they make him a character that uh is lost in time and is saving the world but nobody's ever heard of him which is so great because you know all he wanted was fame right like that was this whole thing mm-hmm. and he has to make this choice um there was also i think they took a lot of that idea too from that amazing uh justice league unlimited episode too where booster gold saves the universe while everybody else is fighting more drew the magician and um, then he, uh, but nobody, everybody's just like patting him on the head. Oh, sure. You saved the universe booster. Yeah. And, uh, and nobody knew it actually happened. And so it's, it, they're fun stories. And I think, uh, booster gold sort of filling in that role was great, but they do make him immensely powerful and they treat him more like a, a, a real character. I also found out, and maybe, you know, the actor's name, but guy from, uh, that thing you do was the uh-huh. voice of Booster Gold in all of those cartoons. What? No. I don't know his name, but i that's crazy. We'll have to look that one up. Maybe you can remind me to put that in the show notes. But I, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was hilarious. I was like, I, I was watching that movie and I'm like, I know that voice. I know that voice. That's oh, crazy. he's my favorite superhero. Oh, great. Okay. So not that I have a Booster Gold fan club t-shirt or anything. Okay, it's kind of sick. So, the uh, do great things with Booster after this story, but they take him out, and he's all burnt up and and crispy, and yeah, maybe maybe not so good here. Yeah, not so good. It kind of it yeah, kind of sucks. And so now he's uh, he doesn't have his best friend. He's all off on his own, and uh, it's interesting. So he sees the scarab. What do you know about the scarab? The scarab, it's uh, it's got magical powers. It's got magical. Ca- did they even call it the scarab here? And they, he did. He um, he finds it. The scarab pulses. He yeah, he yeah. calls it the scarab. You sure? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah so yeah. 
Scarab actually belonged to uh, Dan Garrett, at least in the Silver Age launch. I don't want to get too many. There's so many Golden Age versions of the Scarab and everything, but they cemented it. Charlton gave Dan Garrett the Scarab and, and said that gave him his powers. And it, it's interesting. It originated back. The original Blue Beetle like threw little beetles at people to announce his presence. Huh. Which, I'm here. I'm here. Here's a beetle. <laughs> like a, like <laughs> confetti. I'm throwing living beetles at you. <laughs> Which is really an amazing like way to announce your presence as a superhero. Like I'm going to start doing that. You could get like a thousand of those little plastic spiders and just throw them in the room. Yes. I, like, I'm here. Just, I'm going to get a bunch of rubber snakes and just throw them. That'd be fun. Snake man. And I think it's funny because Ted's saying like he can't understand the scarab. And I, I can't mm. understand the history of the Golden Age Blue Beetle either. But yeah, uh, what I can tell you is Roy Thomas actually wrote one of the last appearances of the Golden Age Blue Beetle uh, for Charlton before they killed him off and made Ted Cord the Blue Beetle. Um, mm-hmm. Originally, he was a police officer, but uh, apparently Roy Thomas way back in his youth was studying a lot of Egyptology. So he made Dan Garrett an archaeologist. Oh, that makes sense. And uh, Steve Ditko immediately killed him off and, uh, and said, no, you're not. Yeah, you know, you're not. You're you're a dead archaeologist. Dead. Uh, but that's that's what he's referring to. So he's wishing he could have saved his friend Dan Garrett and uh, Ted dedicated his life to fighting crime in, in Garrett's honor back in the 60s books. So the reaction to the scarab does make sense. Uh, it just kind of thinking, you know, I probably should have asked you this, you know, before we start talking live, but is there a character you'd want to reboot? And and, and how would you go about that? Oh, a, a character from, uh, from anywhere. From any anywhere. Comic, yeah. You know, I, I, I've been asked this before and uh, like, I, I just don't, I, I don't know. I mean, like, are you talking about like a, like, okay, parameters, just throwing the parameters out there. Are you talking about something that's like, has been shelved and no longer, no longer working, right? Like, I mean, the comic is no longer being written. It's no longer being worked right now or something that is like, it's just, just not a not a property i mean it is I mean, a property i think you can go either route i mean in this case really like they're they're sort of rebooting the blue beetle who hadn't showed up in a while right like giving mm-hmm. him a serious bent making him really smart right and creative yeah. and uh and but also struggling right like you see the sort of human toil in this case it's a reboot in the sense that it combines both steve ditko's character and len ween len ween wrote blue beetle right after crisis Mm-hmm. With uh, with the Giffen character, right? Like they sort of combine them all together, yeah. um, and and little Spider Man in there too. But I mean, they pay homage to Ditko, but it seems like they're able to to build a, a real human character here. Um, so they they drew on elements, right? In this case, so to reboot, in this case, they drew on elements of past writers and sort of smash them together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, would you want so. a situation? Yeah, I guess I'm asking you two questions now. Who would it yeah. be? And would you pull on those old elements or would you want to start from scratch? I would, I would definitely, um, I I will answer it this way. I would always rely on the elements that were always there to pull on just so that there was, um, something so that readers could, uh, have that, 
that formal that that knowledge from prior and they could go oh, okay i can i can understand where they're coming from but then this is the new thing that i that i want to want to check out and that would be what i would add to it right so there's that and then what would i want to do oh that's a good question um you know i definitely i i i definitely like the characters that we're talking about right now i, I like i like the bng but also, I, I, I feel like uh, when I was when I was younger, I, I had a lot of uh, I was going through some of the uh, the old books. I've had a lot of time to go through my old my old long boxes and stuff like that. Surprisingly, I had uh, um, a few uh, old Sergeant Rock books mm. <laughs> and uh, I could I could see I could see um, some of those stories coming back around. That well, that's an interesting choice because there's classic Kirby, right? Uh huh. Was he Kirby? I Wait. think I think there was some definitely inspired by Kirby's yeah. war comics, if not written by Kirby early on. Mm-hmm. But then DC's tried to reboot Sergeant Rock so many times and failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be a challenge. I guess I maybe I shouldn't call it a failure, but yeah, it's not like it, there's a Sergeant Rock in issue 500 right now. <laughs> so oh, yeah yeah thrown shade but yeah i mean i think like maybe not failed i think some of the books were fun uh but the uh yeah that'd be a i think it'd be a challenge to take on it'd be interesting to see what you could do with it but you'd have sort of a blank slate too because those classic war characters you can sort of put them anywhere in time put them anywhere in time put them into varying situations and stuff like that so yeah, That's, I mean, I thought you were going to say US one, the trucking, the trucker. Um, oh, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I have that book too. I, so I could, I could see that too. That I mean, that would, that would be, that would be epic. Um, I mean, you really want to, you really want to deep, you want a deep dive. You want a deep dive. You want something? All right. The year is nineteen eighty-three. The comic book is Reagan's Heroes. I'm just joking. <laughs> Atari Force. Um, so, uh, Atari, yeah, Atari Force would be pretty Atari, sick. Atari Force I wouldn't want to reboot because it was so good the first it's so time. Good, I just so good. I can top it. Yeah. That, yeah. There, there's some of those out there properties I, I just wouldn't want to ever try to touch, right? Like even Karate Kid. Stuff. Karate Kid. <laughs> from legion stop it uh <laughs> stop it um that god that yeah i mean he, how many times he's been killed like three times plus three his times. own maxi series in the uh, 70s was brutally terrible so let, let's leave that one alone but the uh yeah the you asked <laughs> I did ask, and, and now you're throwing shade at, at poor Karate Kid. I mean, the uh, when you get killed by a character named Nemesis Kid, I mean that you know I, I don't know if that's that's really great for you, but he's, <laughs> he's my my nemesis. Yeah, uh, clearly because his, his name is is Nemesis Kid. Uh, so we get into uh, chapter three, and it's interesting. As we're sort of looking here, uh, we have a Shazam subplot at the end of chapter two. Yeah. And digging into that, it's always fun to see Shazam. What do you, uh, don't want to get too much into the wizard there. Yeah. But the, uh, 
you know, it's interesting. We've got one more person that wouldn't help him. One more. Yeah. He goes down, he talks to him. There's like, get out of here, kid. Boom. And then all of a sudden magically whisked away. And he's like, I hate it. I hate magic. And there he is. And he takes the scarab away. Yeah. And And I I don't know what they're possibly going to do with that scarab down the road. He's scarabless. They're going to create Miles Morales. Maybe. Wait. Or, uh, an, I mean, you mean, uh, oh, yeah, wait, I know I mean, Jaime mean. Reyes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, the less popular Miles Morales. Yeah. Mm. That, that one. Blue Beetle 3. <laughs> yeah. Not that, like, we have to have a parallel between Spider Man and Blue Beetle in every iteration or anything like that. I, hey, I don't know what you're saying. You're saying that they're the same guy? Uh, at least their power sets were massively different that time, so you could have a distinguishment. But yeah, it, yeah. I don't know. Spider Man, he's not an entrepreneur. Blue Beetle, I mean, there's Jaime. So yeah, it's anyway. <laughs> but we're way off on that. So okay. let's not talk about future Spider Man and future Blue Beetle from here. Uh, <laughs> I think that the big thing is so far, we're through three chapters of Countdown to Infinite Crisis and. Uh, Blue Beetle's looking at Wonder Woman six minutes ago and finding out who she is. And he is being really sexist. And we're going to end there for this episode. So uh, what do you think of the story so far? Ah, what do I think so far? I think uh, it is like super. It's like it's one. It's like at this point, it's like it's hard to want to stop reading it. If you, you know, because you're like, oh, what's, what's going to happen next? You know? Yeah, it, yeah. And even with the interludes to the greater DC comic stories that are clearly sort of forced in, like the little Shazam interlude, mm-hmm. I was still just diving in. I just wanted to, I, I think they did a great job writing Beetle because these interludes were actually bugging me when I read the story the first time. I'm like, let me get out of that so I can see what's happening to Blue Beetle next. Yeah. Right. Like I was wrapped in that. Well, I think uh, they have to they have to have the interludes so that it keeps all the fans of the various, you know, the various fandoms, uh, you know, locked in through this whole entire arc that is going to kick off everything because you want to be you want to be locked in. So no matter what your who who your who your superhero is, who your who your metahuman is, who your whatever, you know, whoever it is that you're you're following and reading, you're going to be locked in because one of those stories touched the story, right? So Blue Beetle, he's asking for help. He's getting rejected. He's, he's meeting up with somebody and they're doing something somewhere, somehow, you know? And, uh, and, and that's, that's, I think that's drawn people into the, the, the whole thing. And I think the, uh, in telling the story too, I think the artist, so chapter two was Ed Bennis with hi-fi colors and they really went to town. Uh, they really went to town with the Mad Men and all of that, with the, yeah. the bright colors and everything. And then we get some, is it Saez? Jesus Saez? You know? I think. I'll say it wrong. And really early Jimmy Palmiotti uh, inking work for DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've never heard of that guy, and he will never do anything for DC again. No. <laughs> You never see it. You never, you never see him lift a pen. He would never, ever 
he would never, ever, ever draw a female Joker-esque character. Nope, not at all. Nope. And then uh, Paul mounts on colors. So I I think they did a really good job moving from story to story, too. And I really like the wonderment uh, that Blue Beetle has when he's looking at the wizard. Uh, I think that was kind of expresses like how we would be in that situation. Like <laughs> staring up at this giant gray haired wizard. Totally. Uh, yeah. And so I thought they did a really good job with the art. Uh, I like the use beyond. of light too. the, the use of light in here. Um, it, when the, the scarab is glowing uh, during the fire scene, uh, just even even when he's talking to the wizard and the light is coming from different places and stuff like that, it the, there's so much lighting technique uh, utilized and and how that shaded in. It's so beautiful and there's so much negative space. Um, also because with the with the lighting technique and you're seeing some negative art in there as well. Uh, to to shade out or to take up some of that other space, even with the hands uh, on the wizard and some of the other things like that. When uh, Ted is falling backwards, uh, you just it's just amazing uh, to see that kind of uh, that kind of thing. So I yeah. like definitely it's it it draws the eye and it makes you uh, like just want to keep going. That's why every like I said every page, every panel is is continuing it's like just one more just one more let's keep going yeah and it just uh, and back to that theme on humanizing the blue beetle and letting him tell the story he looks so vulnerable Mm -hmm. uh in chapter three after and he looks happy for the first time they're hanging out together and then he just looks vulnerable he looks almost defeated and and i like how the art just makes him look uh, human. It's just that contrast, like you said, between the superhumans and, and him, right? And mm-hmm. and so it, there's a cl- not to foreshadow in the story, but there's a clear distinction between what Blue Beetle is and what everybody else around him is. For sure. I mean, he he is just he is himself. And on that note, uh, that's going to come close to wrapping up this. Episode 250, Beetlemania, as we're reintroducing the Blue Beetle. And on the next episode of Funny Book Forensics, we're going to finish the story off and find out more about the legacy of the Blue Beetle character. More on the next episode. So make sure you finish up reading this one before we talk to you again, because if you don't, well, there's a lot of spoiling that's going to happen. Ah, curses. You'll never know. You will never know. Greg, you got anything to plug? Uh, currently right now? No, I don't. Well, I mean... Nothing? Nothing like narrative gunslingers? Oh, hold on. Okay. Hey, if you like this show, you'll also like narrative gunslingers, where Travis Webb and myself talk about your favorite stories with your favorite creators. And we talk about... Oh, man. I don't even know. Stuff. Is, is that show <laughs> on a network? It's on the Spoilerverse, right here where you found this podcast. You'll find many others just like this. That's pretty amazing, Greg. And do you have another podcast on the Spoilerverse? What? Another one? Are you talking about Nurse in the Crypt with Saul Perez and David Mayer? I do. 
We talk about horror movies and horror comics and horror TV shows and horror video games and even Kickstarters all about horror. I heard that David Mayer is a pretty good guy. Keep looking out for more stuff on Funny Book Forensics, funnybookforensics.com. Of course, you can also find us on the Spoilerverse. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And Greg puts up all of the funny memes and I put up all of the nerdy commentary. So there you go. Anything else? No, that's it. I was I was I was gonna end it. <laughs> well, now it's ended. So we are gonna be back more uh with more Blue Beetle on episode two fifty one.